I have a very weird job. And the weirdest job, the weirdest part, don't know that I'll get to know, you and I hear about it first. The weirdest part of my job is I have to interview very, very elderly people. And I mean really old. I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking like 90 plus. I mean, I've got an interview next week with a really old Marxist who is 95. Um, <laughs> I've got a few favourites, but what, one of them I interviewed was he was 93. He had some great conspiracy stories, my word. And then I interviewed his friend, who was also in his mid-90s, who told me not to listen to the other guy. <laughs> the reason I do this is because I'm a historian of 20th century history, right? And particularly the 1950s. 1950s Africa and Ghana, and Ghana's in West Africa. Um, and so I have to talk to a lot of people who actually, incredibly, are still alive. I mean, so, I mean... <laughs> it is incredible. Some of, them, some of them are 100. I mean, seriously. I mean, these people are amazing. Some nuns I talked to in Philadelphia. Honestly, you've never met anyone so switched on about it. It was incredible. Right, so these nuns would like to totter out of her little room. So they all live in this, honestly, it's an old people's home just for nuns. And then she'd totter out of her little room on a Zimmer frame, and she'd sit down and talk to me, and then I'd bother her for an hour about her life in 70s Africa. And then she'd like totter back to her room. So basically, my role is really bothering old people. That is my job. <laughs> but I have a favourite. I have an absolute favourite. And my favourite is Louise. Louise had a great story. And no one really knew in... In, in history writing, history books, no one's really written about her story. And I found a load of papers on Louise's life in the National Archives in Scotland. So I'm digging through all these dirty papers, and you find that one guy had written about this little tiny Christian mission to very northern Ghana in the 1950s. And Louise was on that trip. She actually stayed there from about 1955 to 1971. And she did some amazing things. So, the trip went out there because the, there was about 70,000 um, North, northern Ghanaians who never really encountered any Christians before, never really encountered any white people, to be honest. And they, they were, the mission, the aim of the mission was to go out and give the good news to these guys. But the mission got there and it found there were some serious health issues. So there was something called black water fever, and there was river blindness, and a lot of starvation. These were seriously remote places. So Louise, who was just a working class Glaswegian woman, family never been to university, family never really been out of Glasgow, decides, goes with her husband and suddenly finds herself the only nurse in this huge area of people. And she sets up a mini hospital, she sets up a clinic, and she runs it for about 10 to 15 years. On the back of her well-wishing cards, she writes patients' notes. She conducts most under a little tree, and she brings suitcases full of medicine, basically smuggled out of Scotland, to get them there, because they were so, so remote and isolated. Now, Louise left um, this area around 1970, and no one had really talked to her about it since. So I, finding all these notes, decided, I'm going to find, maybe I can discover Louise, maybe she's still alive, I mean, she'll be old, but maybe she's still alive. I googled her, managed to get hold of her church, she now lives on the Isle of Wight. I, I managed to find her vicar, and her vicar went out, just went round to her house and said, there's a boy that wants to speak to you, do you mind chatting to him on the phone? Louise, brave as ever, said yes. So I started chatting to Louise about what I 
all the stuff I found out about her life, the incredible things that she'd done. That, I mean, her husband had died a few years ago, so she, never, she honestly hadn't spoken about them for so, so long. She was surprised that anyone cared, quite honestly. I was like, did you write a diary? She was like, no, I didn't think anything I did was very important. <laughs> the reason it is important is because I could see from the history work I'd done in all different places over Ghana and over Africa that what Louise had done was incredible. That what Louise was doing was not being done elsewhere. And still today, the effects of her setting up that clinic matter. They matter because people are now still plugging into the same clinic. She passed a baton on for a race that's still being run that she could never see. And this boy rings her up and tells her, so what was it like passing on that baton? And she goes, what, you mean there's still a race being run? You mean this mattered? What I want to talk about today is how the big picture of the gospel matters for our lives. How knowing the big story of what God says over your life and over the whole world matters for how we run that baton from one place to the next. It's so important to know that the race is going on in order that we can see what we're doing. To have some real drive and excitement that what we're doing really matters. And this is why we're talking about simply good news. We're looking at how the good news of Jesus having died for us and having risen, risen again from the dead matters more than just for I don't know, like good spirituality or good morals, like I'm saying, or just like a ticket to heaven. It matters because it's part of a big story of the restoration of all of the world. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Next week it will be freedom from sin, and then we're looking at life of the fall. But today it's about that really big story about what Jesus did and how he did it within all of creation and what that means for the world and for us. Now in order to do that, we're going to look at a letter from the Apostle Paul. Now Paul died probably around 60 AD, so he was one of the first ever Christians, one of the first people to know the good news of what Jesus had done, Jesus having died and risen again. And he, his aim was to go tell people about it, he wanted to tell people, open your curtains, the sun has risen. This has happened, this is amazing, this is good news. So he writes lots of letters to different churches and different people he meets. And one of the letters we're going to look at is his letter to Rome. Now in Rome, there was a few little pockets around this earning of halfway through the first century of people that knew the story of Jesus, that knew what Jesus had done. Now, they were basically in hiding. This was a city of around a million Jews Roman at that time. And these Jews were in power and they were wealthy. And these little Christians were saying to these Jews that something had happened. That the story of Israel, that the Jewish story had changed. What the, the hope they were waiting for, the exciting hope that a Messiah was going to come, that God was going to come down from heaven to earth to change everything, to give us hope again, had happened. But these Christians are really in a minority. So when Paul's writing to them, he's encouraging them, saying, Guys, I know you know the story, but you've got to get it inside you, because I know you're feeling threatened. So, we're going to look at Romans 8, which is halfway through his letter. So let's turn straight to Romans 8. He writes to um, these guys, um, this is Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. He writes to them, and remember, they're on their own. 
there are little tiny pockets all around a massive city of people that think that they are either crazy or scandalous or just rude. And he writes them and telling them what this good news is. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Saying is, however difficult it's getting, this stuff is good. You want to know this stuff. For the creation, that is the whole world, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul is writing to these guys saying, you matter. You really matter in this massive story. The story is that Jesus, Jesus who is God's son, has died and has risen. And this makes such a difference because Jesus' love for us has meant that our place, humanity's fallen, evil place, has been restored. That we can partner with God again. The good news is, not just for us though, but for all creation. Creation has waited in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation, that is the whole world, was subject to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now that's really dense. What he's saying, he's starting with, the creation was subject to frustration and that it will be liberated. His point is that in the beginning was a good God who made a good world. That humanity's place in that was to reflect the beauty of that world back to God. But humanity fell. But humanity was evil. The hope, that Paul says, of Israel, of the Jewish people, was that that place of humanity would be, by God, restored. Because if it was restored, all creation could be restored. The whole world, the good world, could be brought back to being truly good. And so creation, the whole world, was almost like enslaved. Like, the, like this, this, this language is so like evocative of the Jews in Egypt. You know the story of Moses where they come out of the Red Sea? So the Jews were captive in Egypt and then they were freed. This story is saying that creation is a bit like that. A bit like the Jews in Egypt. The creation was enslaved, imprisoned, and it is being freed. Like Jesus on the cross, he goes to the cross to take the sufferings of the world. And then through being risen, he is freed. Here Paul is saying, this isn't just about one little person. This isn't just about you. This isn't just about all your little groups of churches. What Jesus has done is he's done it for everybody. And he's done it for all of creation, for the whole world. This news is incredibly exciting to these people. I think it's really hard for us to get a handle on it. I mean, let's, let's think back. Is there any time where you have been freed from something that's really imprisoned you? Maybe it really was prison. Maybe it was something that has imprisoned you mentally. Or maybe it's an illness. Can we think back to times when we've, we've really been captured by something? What have we been captured by? Do you remember the taste of freedom from that thing? Maybe it hasn't come yet, but maybe you hope for it. Can you remember the taste of being free from it? Paul is saying that God's hope for creation is that it will be freed with a bang. 
and that you are all now able to partner in that restoration. Now, something really exciting about this. This isn't just good advice. This isn't just, okay, well, this is a way of having slightly better morals, like, you know, we can have slightly better way of seeing stuff and we're slightly nicer to people. The point of the Christian message is not that we can be slightly nicer to people. The point is that Jesus has risen and all creation is changed as a result. This is seriously good news. And it's hard to get a handle on anymore. That's why we often talk about it as like advice. Because we're like, well, everybody kind of knows that Christianity has been a thing for a while. But it's good news now. Do you ever look at the world and think, man, this place is messed up. Do you ever look at yourself and you're like, ah, how far have I fallen? Look at your community and think, oh man, this could be so much better. And this message is for you. Do we have hope that creation is being restored? These guys that Paul was writing to were in real peril. They're in danger. Didn't look like creation was all that good to them. They had a message that really wasn't liked by the people in power. They were living in a world where the Jewish people were enslaved to the Romans. When we look out at our world and we think, oh man, I just can't see how this situation could improve. Can't see how anybody can make a difference in this. This is just how it is, this is how it always will be. I don't want to know anymore. Those people on the streets are going to stay on the streets. If we get rid of one, there'll be more. Those people in poverty are going to stay in poverty. If we get rid of some, there'll be more. The message is that that is not God's perspective. The good news of Jesus what Jesus brings to our world is hope. Hope that it will change. Hope that all the suffering, that all the pain, that all the poverty and all crime and despair is ending. And that you can partner in that. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's you. That's you. Wherever you are on this journey of faith, whether you think, oh man, I don't really know who this Jesus guy is, but it's intriguing. Or if you're a little bit further down, I think I do believe in this, but I just don't know why. I just feel it. This is you. This is your cause. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now this may seem really big, because creation is big, and we are small, but the little things matter. This isn't just about saying, okay, well, I can see that creation is getting better, but I don't know where I fit in it, and I guess through Jesus I kind of do. No, this is saying, you are Jesus' hands and feet. Creation waits for you. For you. It's for you. You are the best. You are so important. This matters. And yes, you are small. And yes, you are weak. And yes, you don't have all the skills and you don't have all the knowledge. But creation might be big and you might be small, but the little things really do matter. The little things matter because God is with you. So we're in this big story and something has happened.
and it's waiting for you to partner for that massive restoration that's coming. Now, I found that I really that I gain a little bit of hope and I lose it. I see, oh, maybe this could happen, and then it disappears. I'm like, well, I really can't do much to end this suffering. I can do a little bit, but the point is that little bit. That little, hold on to that little bit. Maybe it's a, a bit of recycling. In recycling, you are, you're expressing something of the beauty of the good news, which is that what was decayed can be made new. Or maybe it's like five quid. You find a charity and you're like, oh, I'm just going to give five quid to this charity. Don't think it will make a difference because Syria looks awful, but I'll just give five quid to the Red Cross because maybe they can do something. You are reflecting something of the beauty of restoration of creation. You are reflecting something of that beauty of God's heart that says, I can partner in this. Creation waits for me. So we're going to start praying into this. And we're going to start worshipping into this. Because I want us to be able to feel that hope again. Not so that we think, oh, well, this is is a big world. It's me. I'm going to change this, that and the other. It's not that. The little things. Looking again at our little things and thinking, this really does make a difference. Creation waits an eager expectation for you. When Louise, my old friend, um, the, who was in uh, northern Ghana in the 1950s, got a call from some random student about her life, she didn't think it was important. She didn't know the race. But when she heard it, it really mattered. She actually read my master's thesis. Seriously, no one else did. And I mean no one. Not even you. And I married you. <laughs> Seriously, no one read it. But she, maybe she read the first page. Honestly. But she looked at it because something said, wow, other people were doing this too. Other people were doing this too. There's some hope. Now, when Louise died only a few months after I interviewed her, But just in that last bit of time, she heard that voice of hope again. So let I want us to start praying into it. And the band are going to come from the start to give us some background. Oh, these are some of the pictures, by the way, of Louise's time. You can take those off now. That was the scary face that she met um, when she arrived. She had to negotiate with those guys. We're going to start praying into it. What have we lost hope in? Is it when you've looked out at the world and you've lost a bit of hope? What have you lost hope in that that hope can be restored? What little things are you doing that you can find excitement and joy in again? Knowing the big picture, what are the little things that we can do? What are the little things that we can get excited about? I'll start to lead us in prayer. Jesus. This story seems so big. But we know that you've done a great thing in dying and rising again. So, Lord, we pray that in our own lives, in 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 the way we relate to each other, in the way we recycle, in the way we pray, in the way we walk to work, we ask, Father, that we find hope again that you are on the move. Lord, we pray you bring to our mind now things that you are asking us 
to do, to feel, to think, what are you asking of us, Lord? Where are you taking us? Where have we got disillusioned and disappointed? Where are we going to find hope again?